Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another live edition of the Pump Fake. Jarrett Bailey from USA Today and SB Nation. Joined today by my friend, Kevin Ostriker, managing editor of Ravens Wire, host of Locked on Ravens. Good to see you again, my friend. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well, Jared. I'm, I'm glad to be back here. We are talking on the Nuggets ring night, as we talked about off the air a little bit with me being a Denver Nuggets guy. So that, that'll be exciting. But obviously, talk of the NFL right now, a couple different things. Obviously, what happened with Brock Purdy last night is one of them but oh, sure. the Ravens are five and two obviously me being the locked on Ravens guy and also still over at Ravens wire it's a big topic of conversation especially because we've seen so much parity this year where I think every single team at least has one bad loss this year right now I think that's every year though and I think that's something that fans tend to not how do I word this Fans overreact to things. This is a reactionary world that we live in in today's NFL where every loss has to be the end of the world or it means that every win, you're the greatest team a lot. Um, and I think that that was the perfect merging of worlds. I talked about it yesterday on the show, but the Ravens were kind of in a weird wonky spot because they, they lose a game to Pittsburgh that they should have won. They let the Titans hang around. The result was never really in doubt, but the fact that they didn't win more convincingly, I think, had fans be like, okay, what are we doing here? Detroit, on the other hand, was beating teams left and right by multiple scores. They were a pick six away uh, from uh, against Seattle from being undefeated entering that game. And it was, it was just a matter of time before the Ravens put something together. It was a matter of time before the Lions had a little bit, bit of a letdown, and it just so happened to happen at the same time. And what we got was the Ravens in terms of DVOA having the best game in franchise history and the Lions, um, you know, having a, a burn the tape type game. But what did you see from Baltimore in totality, especially on the offense? Because Lamar Jackson had, if not the best game of his career, I know that that game from a few years ago against Indianapolis on Monday night will always be hard to top. But it's certainly in the conversation for one of the best Lamar Jackson performances we've seen. Oh, sure. I think it's definitely a top five. If, I mean, if I had to rank like top three, I think I'd probably put, I mean, the Indy one was great because it was a comeback. Like they're down yeah. 24 to nine in the fourth quarter. He leads into that win. The Miami game to open 2019 though was crazy when he had the five, like 19 attempts, five touchdowns, like 300 yards. <laughs> Marquise Brown, his first two catches. That's a good one. But I think this game in totality for the Ravens, you kind of hit on a couple of good points, Jared, where the Ravens were searching for their offense to breathe life into their team because I think this has been the defense dragging them across the finish line outside of this Detroit game and it was never going to be with Todd Munkin coming in as new offensive coordinator you're bringing Odell and Zay Flowers it's a new system you're trying to figure out stuff this Ravens offense was never going to put up 40 points a game from week one to week 18 and I think right. again with Greg Roman being ousted I think that was almost part of, partially an expectation from some fans because it's like, finally, they're rid of Greg Roman. It was such a common. It almost is like the Matt Canada situation that's going on in Pittsburgh right now, except the Ravens actually got rid of Roman and the Steelers obviously still have Canada. I think those two coordinators were probably two of the most highly scrutinized last season and the Ravens decided to move on. 
but we kind of saw them start in a couple different ways this year before this game. It was either they started off really fast, like first drive, second drive, boom, down the field, touchdown, but then they'd let off the gas or they would struggle in the second half or they'd start slow and they put it together in the second half. There was never that full consistent 60 minute, just boom, this offense is here game. And I don't think a lot of people expect it to be, as you talk about, against Detroit, who came into this game as a number two rated rush defense, a number six rated pass defense. They did lose Jerry Jacobs to a weird Saturday injury. Yeah, it was a random late on the injury report. Late they, they've been dealing yeah. with guys. Like every team has dealt with it. The Lions have gone through a bunch of injuries this year. But from the jump, I think it started off a tone setting decision by John Harbaugh to take the ball after winning the coin toss instead of deferring, which is something we don't see as often nowadays. Usually you want to get the ball in the second half and see what your offense can do there. But the game was essentially over in the second quarter because the Lions were going for it on fourth and eight from the Baltimore 49. They had six fourth down attempts in this game starting in the second quarter. You could literally say, oh, you know, there was still a chance to come back. But Jared Goff got panicky. And I think the most encouraging part for Ravens fans is the offense finally showed a consistent life force throughout an entire course of the game. Six, I mean, six fourth down conversions. That is, that is an absurd number. Um, you touched on the Lions injuries, though, and that's something that kind of got overlooked last week, just because they take they took care of Tampa Bay really well, even without you know they they've dealt with Brian Branch being gone. Jack Campbell's dealt with an injury. Um, Jameson Williams just came back from being suspended. So you know, um, Garner Johnson and Emmanuel Mosley both uh, have missed time. So a bunch of guys that they brought in to help on that side of the ball, you know, have have missed time and. I think that was just something that kind of caught up to the Lions. And again, I don't think that you kind of touched on this too. This isn't something that Ravens fans should expect every week where they just go out and drop 40 on everybody. That's not sustainable. But the fact that they were able to finally put together something that is at least, I think it's very promising for what this offense can be at its best and the defense as well. Right. And I know that this Ravens team, Jarrett, has a history a little bit of playing up and down the competition mm. we see it a lot and especially again against the Colts team in week three that had no Anthony Richardson Gardner Minshew came in there they have four fumbles and four drives and they let the Colts hang around and hang around the offense can't get it going and they lose that game the Steelers who didn't have a great offensive game in week five they, they, they kept the Steelers around with the drops seven of them which is just an absurd it's crazy I don't think the Ravens have very many drops outside of that game. It all happened in one game. <laughs> it ended up costing. Three of them would have been scores in that game, by the way. It, it was ridiculous. Lamar would have had like the top completion percentage in the league by like a good two points, percentage points, if everybody had caught their passes. And it's, you know, what it could have, should have, right? But yeah. he dropped down to five from two because his receivers couldn't drop or couldn't catch passes in that game. One of them being Nelson Aguilar, which is kind of a full circle moment with the, uh, the the dropping babies, not like Aguilar. But to me, the Ravens in this game against Detroit showed that you can run the ball effectively and pass the ball effectively. And when you talk about Lamar, for example, all the headlines coming into this game where it was a barometer test for both the Ravens and the Lions because the Lions offense, they hadn't faced a defense like the Ravens defense. And the Lions Offense hadn't faced a Ravens defense too. It was kind of both ways where these two, the Lions offense was incredible before this week and the Ravens defense was incredible before this week. But those two full force moving things hitting each other, the Lions offense gave in to the Ravens defense and the Ravens offense responded. It was complimentary football. And they're actually getting, the Ravens are getting their guys back. And we're talking about the Lions injuries and everything they went through and have been going through. 
but the Ravens lost like five guys in week one, four guys in week two, three guys in week three. They now have pretty much everybody back who's not on IR outside of Marcus Williams, who went down for the second time in six weeks against Tennessee. So it's encouraging that the Ravens were able to do this. But again, you're right. It's not going to be this every single week. This was, it was not the lion's day on Sunday. It, everything was going wrong for them. There were bad penalties, sloppiness. The Ravens played really well. They're going to Arizona next week, Jarrett. And if they lose that game to Arizona, after what happened against Detroit in week seven, I think that might be one of the biggest disaster losses in the entire league this year so far. And I don't think anybody's expecting them to do that, but that would be quite the uh, the complete 180 in a matter of uh, of one week. Um, and defensively, like it's not just Roquan Smith and Marlon Humphrey and the usual suspects. It's you know Justin Matabuke has had a really nice year. Geno Stone, I think, leads the league in picks right now. Um, it's a it's a bunch of role players that are stepping up and uh, really complementing a defense that coming into the year, like we're dealing with a lot of injuries, especially in the secondary. Um, but right now, a bunch of guys have stepped up and. Uh, Baltimore's playing well because of it. Uh, I did want to touch on the offensive injuries because coming into this year, you know, they give Odell Beckham a bunch of money. And you know, the big question is okay, but it's, you know, it's 30 year old Odell Beckham with a laundry list of an injury history. And already we're seeing that come to light. Um, what, what do you make in terms of uh, the new look Todd Munkin offense and the new personnel? Obviously, Zay Flowers has been a godsend and he's been great. Um, but in terms of the offense as a whole, how are you feeling about it through seven weeks? Yeah, I, I think this last week gave a glimpse of to what this offense should more so look like. Again, not 38 points every single week, but the complimentary run game and the pass game. And we also saw Todd Munkin involved tr quality trickeration, I'd say, early because we, we had seen him try to do it with Zay Flowers a bunch, almost like force feeding him reverses and these screens and stuff. Yeah. But Teams were sniffing it out. What we saw in this game was, I think it was the second or third play of the game. It was an option. Lamar keeps the ball. It looks like he's going to tuck it and run, but Odell kind of slips out about eight yards down the field, and he pulls it back and throws it. Odell gets a huge game. There was a play to Keaton Mitchell where it was another option play. Lamar keeps it and does like a spin toss, like it, almost like Chiefs-esque to Keaton Mitchell, who takes it for a first. I think I actually marked it short. It was a terrible spot. But that's some of the stuff where we didn't see a lot of that from Greg Roman, him utilizing his players to the best of their ability. And in terms of the offensive injuries, Odell has had to miss a couple games. Rashad Bateman has had to miss a couple games. They're down J.K. Dobbins for the entire season. They've also been rotating guys in and out pretty much on the offensive line the entire season. They now have their full unit back, though, and that's part of it, too, because they were dealing with so much early on in the season that you just couldn't get a consistent read on them, especially if you're coaching or playing for that team because yeah. – you're starting next to a new guy every single week. So once you have your guys fully back there, it, was, it almost reminded me back, I think it was a couple of years ago, the Ravens had like four injuries to their offensive linemen in training camp. And again, it was a new starting combo every single day. And when they finally got to the games, they had to work it out. And their offensive line got better as the year progressed. So for me, the Todd Munkin offense has been a lot more up-tempo which I think has catered to Lamar Jackson's skill set more. And we're seeing Lamar audible at the line and check out of plays and check into others. And that's something that Greg Roman didn't really give his offense and Lamar the freedom to do. And you usually see that right over the course of young quarterbacks' careers, second year, third year guys start to get more and more freedom within the offense to kind of tailor it themselves. They work with the offensive coordinators. It didn't really go that way with Greg Roman. And here we are, Lamar Jackson in year six. This is the first year we're really seeing him doing this. And I think he's done it well for the most part. He's making good decisions. And he, he's he been able to do this 
the offense just didn't let him do it over the past five years. So for me, Munkin was, I think, what the Ravens needed in terms of a breath of fresh air. And you bring him in not to dismantle the run game. You still want to run the ball because the Ravens have proven over the past, you know, really the whole Lamar Jackson era. They can be one of the best running teams in the league. But it's about getting more creative on offense in terms of passing. And I think we're starting to see that a little bit. And hopefully if this team can, you know, for their sake, hit their stride starting in early November, carry that to December, January, hopefully February for them. That's when you want to see them peak. And the kind of struggles early on won't be as noticeable if they start to have success later. Let's look around the rest of the division, because right now Pittsburgh and Cleveland both sitting at four and two. And then Cincinnati at three and three, they have a really tough game against the 49ers this coming week. Um, it's still anybody's division, I would say, although if Cincinnati goes to three and four and Baltimore keeps winning, it's going to be hard for them to keep pace, especially with that tough schedule. Um, we'll start with, with Pittsburgh, though. I mean, I'm the resident Steelers guy here, so we can touch a little bit on the Steelers. Um, they have a three-game homestand that they begin against the Jaguars this weekend. They're four and two. I couldn't tell you how. Uh, the offense is... <laughs> It's nothing to do with, in terms of the offense. It's you know the same old Steelers when it comes to that. The I will say this though: against the Rams in the fourth quarter, or really the second half, um, they looked like an actual NFL offense, which is nice. Kenny Pickett was hitting Deontay Johnson and George Pickens. They got the run game going with Najee Harris and Jalen Warren. Um, I don't think that that means they're going to be you know all of a sudden this unstoppable force, but they're finding a way, and the defense is obviously really good. Um, if you, I mean, from the Ravens' point of view right now, they're sitting at the top of the division. Who are you most worried about right now? It, it is tough. I think all three of those teams can be really good. Cincinnati somehow starts like one in three every single year. And then it's so <laughs> weird, isn't it? <laughs> I think well, the stat was in the first two weeks of the season, Zach Taylor's like one in nine over his Bengals coaching tenure, which is like, how can you be that consistently bad? <laughs> well, it's crazy too because like, this year and last year were so parallel to one another because last year Burrow didn't have a training camp. He didn't play in the preseason and they started off 0-2. This year, Burrow didn't have a training camp. He didn't play in the preseason and they started off 0-2. So I, I wasn't too worried about them simply because of what happened last year. They were within a couple plays of making it to consecutive Super Bowls. But this year, like it, the offensive line is still bad in Cincinnati. And as good as the defense has been, especially the front seven with Trey Hendrickson, Sam Hubbard, Jermaine Pratt, and DJ Reader, like they haven't been able to score points. And as of late, like, yeah, you know, they put up 34, I think it was against the Cardinals. That's great, but it's also the Cardinals. They sneak away with a win against the Seahawks. That's a good win and a win that they absolutely needed. Um, but now, like, if they if they go on the road and hand the 49ers their third straight loss, I will start being much more of a believer in the Bengals than I am right now. But their, their schedule's tough compared to Cleveland and Pittsburgh, who obviously the Steelers and Browns don't have the quarterback and the offense of personnel that the Bengals do. But it might be like something where the Bengals dug themselves into a hole too early and it might be just too hard to get out of. Yeah, and I know the conversation with Burrow's injury was they started one and three and you're saying, well, if they put them on IR, they'd probably be one and three anyway with a healthy exactly. Joe Burrow coming back. So I think that was a pretty – and Jamar Chase was saying, just let him rest and the Bengals didn't listen. So <laughs> to me, it's about his health. Like if he can come back from this bye and be – I don't think he's going to be 100% the entire season, to be honest. Those injuries are just so hard, especially when you're playing on him. Yeah. But if he can at least manage it and the Bengals can start putting up consistent points – they're the division winner two times in a row, but I don't think any team's ever won the AFC North three times in a row. 
Yeah, so, ever since, since division realignment, no team has won it three times in a row since 2001. So they would be the first to do it. Right. And so I, I just, I don't know because you're right. Orlando Brown Jr. has come in there and just has not been good in Cincinnati. The offensive line, and, and they, to their credit, they've tried. Like they've added this is the second year in a row that they have tried like revamp. Because remember last year was Lyle Collins last year, and then he gets hurt, and then this year it's Orlando Brown. It's just not. They brought in Ted Karras and Alex Kappa last year too, and they just can't figure it out in terms of you know putting a wall in front of Burrow that that stays upwards and gives him protection. I know it kind of brings me back to the uh, 2021 draft conversation of Jamar Chase versus Panay Sewell. <laughs> it was a even throughout like the preseason too, because Jamar Chase had you know had struggled with the drops and everybody yeah, was, was like should have drafted Panay Sewell. We made the mistake, and then obviously Jamar Chase has a fantastic year. Um, Cleveland is like so weird to me because they're also four and two, and nobody can tell you how they want. Like they beat the 49ers with PJ Walker. They went an absolutely crazy game on Sunday against the Colts. Um, but they also have games where when Deshaun Watson's playing, he'll throw, you know, the ugliest interceptions you'll see. And I think that the, the ship has sailed on him ever looking like the Deshaun Watson of old. I think that that's Cleveland's got to live with this ungodly contract that they gave him. It's no one's going to trade for him. They're not going to be able to, to cut him or else they're taking just ungodly amounts of money uh, to the dead cap. But the defense has been really good. And Miles Garrett has been really good. Um, they, I think that keeps them at least in the conversation. I don't think that I would pick them to miraculously win the division just because the rest of it's just too good. Yeah, I, I'm there with you too. I mean, I think the Browns, it has to rely on can Deshaun Watson maybe look even 25% of what he did in Houston? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm with you where, I mean, I was never on board with the move in the first place. I just thought it was too much to give up. They sold their soul to get them. It was just, yeah. it was a bad move all around for me. And the fact that, again, he's dealing with this stuff now, that the joint sprain, it was one of the weirder injury sagas. It's so over weird what's happening. And it, I feel like it's like, obviously, like, I don't know, but it feels like there's something where the Browns are like, we're fine if he doesn't play. Like, can we like find a way where we can just keep shoving PJ Walker out there? Because like, at least we know what we've got in him and we can at least play to his strengths. We you don't know what Deshaun Watson's going to look like week in and week out. Yeah, I think it'd be incredible if they signed like Carson Wentz or someone to come in. Dude, and, like, <laughs> please let it happen. Please, God, give me Carson Wentz to the Browns. I think that would be hilarious. Um, but by the way, we we, we talked about the defense. Defense is first in the league in EPA per play. So okay. in terms of in that regard, they have the best defense in football. But you look at the offense. Once we get that brought up, offensively speaking, they are the 31st ranked team in e-paper play. It's polar opposites of what they're doing, and it's whatever the opposite of complementary football is. They are not – they're not – the offense isn't helping out their defense. Um, the only offense in the league worst in terms of EPA is the Patriots right now, and we know how bad that they are. Um, give me your thoughts on Pittsburgh, though. Um, obviously, the teams have played each other already. Um and it was one of the weirder games of the year where Baltimore let Pittsburgh hang around the bad red zone interception thrown by Lamar to Joey Porter Jr., the blocked punt, um, and then George Pickens scores at the end uh, to kind of seal the deal. What What are your thoughts on the Steelers as a whole from a, a Ravens perspective? I, actually, I think I like the Steelers maybe a little more than some people do. I, I, I'm surprised it 
Kenny Pickett this year. I was expecting a little more. I know some of it has to do with the offense in general and just what has been called this year. I invested in a lot of Najee Harris stock in fantasy, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need that to uh, pick up a little bit. Jalen Warren looks explosive for the most part. I mean, I think that if they can get with Deontay Johnson back, I think that's a big part of their offense too. I, th- I think people saw him go out and just were like, eh, whatever. But I think it was more than a whatever for them because he's such yeah. a good, despite the drop issues he's had throughout his career, he's still a very good player for them. But it, it all comes down to with that. Can they get enough out of Kenny Pickett and Matt Canada? Because I, I think the defense is good enough. I don't think they're on Brown's level, but they're, they're still a very good defense. Like I yes. think, People look at, at, you know, some of the pure box score stats and while that won't necessarily blow people out of the water for some of them, some of them are great, right? But others are kind of down from what we expect from that Pittsburgh unit. But TJ Watt is still one of the best defensive players in this league. You still have quality players there like Minka Fitzpatrick. Cam Hayward should be back at some point, right? He's within the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I think they said week eight at the earliest. Um, I don't think they've taken I don't think they've opened up his window yet. So it'll probably be at least another week until that happens. But hopefully soon we get Cam Hayward back uh, in Pittsburgh. That would be nice. Um, but they've had other guys step up, which has been nice. Like Larry Ogunjobi has been a really nice. Uh, he's, he's stepped up a lot. You got guys like Nick Urbic just got his first sack, the rookie out of Wisconsin. Obviously, Watt and Fitzpatrick are, are, are really good. Um, the linebackers uh, have been better than re- than previous years, and it's more of you know a linebacker by committee. They brought in Quan Alexander. Landon Roberts has been a really nice piece. Holcomb. So, like, not guys that are going to blow you away, but they're getting the job done for the most part. The run defense is still something that needs to get better. Um, but from an EPA perspective, they're eighth in the league. So, it has been better in recent years, but still one of the top units uh, in the league. In terms of this coming week, though, the we've touched on it already. The Bengals playing the 49ers, the Steelers playing the Jaguars, the Browns playing the Seahawks. Three tough games across the board. Um, do the are the Ravens on a bye this week? I feel like I, I missed who they're playing. <laughs> it, you know, it, they could be. It's the Cardinals, but it is the Cardinals. Uh, yes, you did touch on that already. Yes, so. Three tough games for second, third, and fourth place in the AFC North. Um, I mean, there's a realistic chance that all three of them lose. And if Baltimore's sitting at six and two, and everybody at best is four and three, with the Steelers being the closest that can reach them because of the tiebreaker, they'd be a game and a half behind. Baltimore would be in a very nice driver's seat at this point, halfway through the year, sitting a game and a half ahead of everybody else. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think this is where they need to win because late in the season, their schedule gets pretty tough. They have their buy in week 13, so it'll be a nice little late, late season buy. reset for them. But then after that, from week 14 on, it's the Rams, the Jaguars, the 49ers, the Dolphins, and the Steelers. So the That's Rams with that game, we're like, all right. Yeah, the Rams were like, all right, maybe. But they, hey, the Rams have been better than I thought they'd be this year. So. Yeah, me too. That's one that's maybe a mini trap, but then those other ones to round out the year, Jacksonville, San Fran, Miami, Pittsburgh is a very tough month to end your season on. So you want to be able to pick up the wins that you should get with Arizona, Seattle. Hopefully they can get that one too. They're going to play Cincinnati again. They're going to play Cleveland again. And who knows who's going to be starting the quarter. Ravens might not face Deshaun Watson this year. So No, no, they might not. Um in terms of who, you, do you think that the uh, division stays the way it is in week 18? Do you think that Baltimore holds on to the division lead, or do we see somebody sneak up from behind them and take it away? I think that 
you know, if I had to give a choice right now, I'd probably say Baltimore holds on, especially if they can rack up a couple wins right here, because I think yeah. that, you know, they're not going to go, oh, at least I hope they would not go 0-4 in those last four, you know, they're tough <laughs> games. But on any of those three, like, again, if Joe Burrow can manage the calf injury, if Kenny Pickett and Matt Canada can get things going, if the Browns can find a quarterback, Carson wants to Cleveland. You heard it here first. That should be the agenda. <laughs> But uh, I, I don't know. I feel like Baltimore has the best shot, and especially if their offense can at least continue to play a full 60 minutes. doesn't have to be 38 points a game, but if they can play a full 60 minutes, I, I give them probably the best shot to hold on to that division, especially because they're already out to the lead. And you, you mentioned it. If all three of the AFC North teams outside of Baltimore lose this week and the Ravens win it, it'll give them a nice little cushion, especially considering they already have a win over both Cincinnati and Cleveland. And if they can split 1-1 with the Steelers, that'd be big for them too. Yeah, and the Steelers homestand, like they play Jacksonville this week, and I think that's a game that they lose to take them to four and three. But after that, they got Tennessee and Green Bay. Those are two games that like if the Steelers go win two out of their next three, they're six and three. And which is hilarious just because of this how how much scrutiny this offense gets week in, week out, and they could be six and three uh by the time uh November is halfway done, which is crazy. And I think that that's something that they should keep an eye on. Uh, in terms of Baltimore, but we'll we'll see when the time comes. I know that you've got your Denver Nuggets to attend to later on tonight, buddy. What have you got coming in terms of Locked On Ravens and the Ravens Wire? Yeah, we're we're continuing to pump out content both over Locked On Ravens and Ravens Wire. I did uh, Ravens wide receiver dive last week. I had Kaji Ismail on Tuesday, Mark Clayton on Wednesday, and Anquan Bolden on Friday. So a, a nice three level receiver intro there and then obviously five days a week over on locked on ravens ravens wire was still writing ravens content so you can find my work over there audio form video form the podcast and obviously writing over the ravens wire still plus the twitter game or i guess the x game excuse me is still uh still going strong too so all, all ravens all the time for me plus that that sprinkle of nuggets as he hinted about over there all right, buddy. Hey, appreciate your time. We'll see how the AFC North shakes out for the rest of the year, and we'll uh, we'll catch up later on uh, once we get closer to uh, the final matchup between Steelers and Ravens later on in the year. Appreciate you. Yeah, for sure, man. Always fun. Great time. Absolutely. All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Pump Fake. We'll be back later on in the week to preview week number eight. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.